This is Richard Wilson speaking. Thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. So I'm a wrinkly, crinkly, but don't shed a tear. Hello, Footsters and Gravers. Welcome to this very special edition of One Foot in the Podcast, where I'm treated in interviewing a cast member of One Foot in the Grave. This person appeared in the seasonal favourite, Who's Listening, where her character had to endure the wrath of Victor Meldrew when everything was going against her. It's only Mrs. Burridge, a.k.a. Kath Shipton. Hello to you, Kath. Yes, hello, Tom. <laughs> Thank you for joining. It's a pleasant surprise. I only arranged this the other day, and you're very quick to respond, so I'm very grateful for you coming on. Well, I mean, you know, it was... I think, like you say, the show has become quite, that particular episode has become a real favourite for a lot of people. Oh, it's, uh, and it's it very poignant. Every, I think it gets more and more, sort of has more and more layers. You're absolutely right. It's a unique episode because it does actually have a happy ending. Yeah. But it's a bit of a roller coaster of a ride throughout. Yeah. You, you are better known outside of the One Foot in the Grave universe as playing Lisa Duffing, or Duffy yeah. in Casualty. Exactly. So you're very much a veteran of that show, but to us one foot fanatics, very much associated with the poor lady in the video shop, you know, who's yeah. has an eventual happy ending. But yeah, I mean that was my first question, I suppose, would be what route did you take when you ventured into acting? Um, well, uh I I've done there were you may have heard of like the Lambda exams, which are just like um it's an extracurricular thing, but I, I loved doing all of those. And then at school, I was always doing plays. I was very academic. I did all my homework, but I just loved plays. And um, I directed quite a lot, to be um, absolutely honest. Started off at uni, uh, well, at, it was at North London Poly, which has become a university now, doing French and Italian. That was what I, I thought I was going to be the next sort of KAD or, or Le Guerin or something like that. I wanted to be a journalist with right. my languages. But I'd always kept the acting up and I... I joined, um, there was a, you know, audition for Midsummer Night's Dream. And I thought, oh, I'll go along for that. And I got into the company, just a college uh, if, um, show. And there were two actors who were playing Lysander and Demetrius. And they were really fully trained actors. And the director hadn't been able to find anybody in the who'd come forward to audition. So right. she just had a network of people. They thought I was a trained actor. And I said, no, I'm I'm actually here studying. And they said, oh my God, you're in the you're doing the wrong thing. And that just that just did it, you know. Um, and I auditioned for drama school, and the rest is kind of history. It was a bumpy start. Sure? Um, I had a very slow start, to be honest. And um five years in, you know, I, I had been at the national, I'd been in the West End, but it was like one step forward, three steps back teaching yep. aerobics and working demonstrating in shops not protesting I mean <laughs> topomatics and all sorts of things that actors do yeah and, um I decided to go back to uni and then I got out of the blue I got a call for casualty casualty then, so yeah wow. the 350 400 odd episodes in I think yeah, I read yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've left I had left I didn't stay I'm not like you know Derek Thompson mm. who's done the lot but I have done <laughs> I suppose over time, I see it's about 35 episodes series now. And wow. I suppose I've done about 
15 of 15 series but spaced out over years probably more than that yeah crazy because Ch- charlie is is charlie still in that series he's been about eight hundred odd episodes. an absolute legend yeah. isn't he <laughs> Yeah, you, I think it would all fall down if Charlie wasn't there, but who knows? <laughs> you you appeared in Doctors as well a few times. And I, did you work with our very own Owen Brenman at all? Yes, I did. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that's a, a one foot in a grave link there. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it's lovely when you go. I mean, I know it's sort of BBC and you go around all the different shows and you bump into people. But yeah. I must admit, when I did One Foot in the Grave, I was quite, you know, I was quite nervous about doing it. So how were you approached for that then? Was it an audition or? Did... A complete offer out of the blue. Amazing. Susie Belbin. She was the producer director. Yeah. And on in those days when we were doing casualty, we didn't do like now you're working nearly a 44 week year and it goes out, you know, and they do specials and stuff like that. And it stops for football or Christmas or whatever. But then we did a much shorter year. So there was time to go off and do other jobs. And so completely out of the blue, I got a call to say, you know, Will you? They're sending you a script. Do you want to play Mrs. Burridge in One Foot in the Grave? Well, there's no answer to that other than yes. You know, I mean, it's a no-brainer, really. So, what did you think of the script when you first read it? Do you oh. recall anything being cut or any extra scenes that were there that you filmed, but they didn't make the, the final edit? Or what was no. your instant reaction? I mean, it was it's so interesting because working it because it's like entertainment. It's such a different world to what I had been doing because um, David Rennick, I mean, he was in all the rehearsals and nothing, uh, once the script is delivered, I mean, Richard could sort of tweak because he Mm. was Richard and possibly the regulars, but they didn't seem to, that there were no tweakings because that's how David works. And I remember once we were doing a scene, it was just rehearsing because we rehearsed in North Acton before we went down because onto location. And fortunately, my video store scenes, I was really nervous. I'll just backtrack because I thought, oh, no, live TV audience. (laughs) I had never done it. So that was in front of a studio. That was a set, obviously. Yeah. Okay. I bet bet, bet that's so nerve wracking, even if you're a professional. That was my first thing of I can do this. I can do this. And then when I got to rehearsals, they said, by the way, because this is a special and we've got to cramp it into time. And we have to, the the live stuff is very fast turnover. We're going to do the video store without an audience. (laughs) I was so grateful. Although, and I went to watch the actual live um, recording. I was going to ask you if you actually were in the audience to watch all the other scenes. Yeah. I've never really been to anything like that. So it was fascinating because they showed on screens, they showed all the, everything is done in order. And they show the story and everything that we've shot out Amazing. on location. And then people are turning around and looking at me and going, hey, you're up there and you're <laughs> up here. And, you know, I can really see why people get hooked on live, like doing shows like that, because as an actor, you feed off the audience. But the technical, you know, structure of TV and you've got to hit your marks and you've got everything so tight. And then you've got this wonderful rapport with the audience. And I, it's like a drug. And I, I, I felt a bit sad afterwards that I hadn't experienced that. But um, going forward, you were saying about the script, everything that we shot was included. So the script That's that good. I received was what was on screen. Um, and But in rehearsal, um, 
we ran the scenes a few times and uh, I got this little note from David and, and, and it was like, but third line, page something, page something. And I went, what? And then Richard said, oh, yes, yes. David likes us all to be DLP. And I said, oh, my God, what's that? And he said, dead letter perfect. Yeah, I've heard that many times. Right. Yeah. So when you're on casualty, I mean, they trust your characters because you've known them for years. And if I had to say, oh, come with me, the doctor will see you now. I, If I said the doctor will see you now, just come this way. If the rest of the take was fine, they'd, the continuity would say, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But this was the acting lesson that I learned. And you can only learn it from masters like David Rennick and Richard and all the crew and all the, you know, Annette and and Janine and everybody is that comedy, when it's written as well as this show is written, it is like sprung. It's a dance and the rhythms through it are implicit and you can't muck about with the rhythms. It's like music. You can't put extra notes in or you can't drop notes because you lose the rhythm. And I learned my lesson and thought, oh, yes. <laughs> but it was fascinating. because I'm it, sure it was. Have you got your script still? Somewhere, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, oh, sure. Keep that yeah. prize possession. Yeah, keep that yeah. safe, locked away. Yeah. Did you have anything at the time of filming that One Foot in the Grave? Because that was all the way back in 1990. Did you mm. have that feeling it's become bigger and bigger? Did um, you get that vibe? Because there's only a, a couple of series down at that point. I mean, I still think it was, it kind of had that, because that's David's writing. Didn't he write something with um, Mel Smith um, called Milburn? Or or he did something with Richard Bryars. He writes quite quirkily, doesn't he, um, David Rennick? And I've watched I, that very recently, the one you're referring to. People didn't know how to receive it. And I think that that had, there was that, the, the head of steam hadn't quite built up around one foot. And I liked it for that because it really, its sort of humour really worked for me. If you see God tell him, I think it That's was. It. Yeah, That's I've watched it. that very recently and it's yeah. very dark, but it's so dark. funny. It's very dark and dark for Richard Briers and people are going, oh, but this is <laughs> Richard Briers. And I crazy. love all that, you see. And I love, you know, I mean, the conversations I had with David, it was just, it was fantastic. He lent me a copy of Clockwork Orange as well because he had a oh, okay. copy, you know. And Amazing. he's a fascinating person and his take on on life and people and, and very um, quiet. Well, I found him quite, you know. We were in a working situation and, and he, he was very concentrated on the work. Fantastic. Absolutely well, if, fantastic. Have, do you keep in touch with any of the, the cast or crew? Obviously, or even in a small way, or not really. Not really, because I was a guest on, you know, um, yeah. one of those. I mean, I've been at loads of events, and Richard's there, and yeah, you know, we have a good old chat, and yeah, like that. It's it's interesting because in rehearsal, I think often, well, I don't know, I I find things through rehearsal, and um, I got and well, it, the director said to me, I don't know if I should say this, I'm sort of. <laughs> finding Mrs. Burridge and the director said oh just do it like Duffy and I went what 
<laughs> and Richard saw my face and he put his arm around and he said, he walked me over and he goes, darling, you're going to be fine. It'll all be fine. And we Nice bit of reassurance. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he directed a lot as well. Yeah. And he said, I know just what you're doing. Carry on what you're doing because you're finding Mrs. Burridge. And if Mrs. Burridge ends up being like Lisa Duffin, well, fine. I mean, I'm sure I'm like all my characters. But... Um, you know, this is light entertainment and 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 people sort of say things like that. And, and you know, and I think she thought I was sort of made, sweating over it. And it was just, oh, just get on with it. You're fine. But that's not sort of what actually. It's, it's an unusual because you're, you're playing a character in a sitcom, which admittedly is a dark and surreal sitcom at the best of times. Yeah. But your storyline is your husband is apparently being, he's, he's, he's not alive anymore. It's nearly yeah. Christmas and you've got a young child. So you can't play comedy really can you you're just no. and i found this as well because having looked at a lot more episodes and then of course you read the whole script and then i realized that my storyline is quite naturalistic and dark mm. yeah and, and that's what david does a lot through um he's got that poignancy you know like people helping out at the you know at the um church hall for christmas you know because they're People, well, it's what will be happening yeah. probably a lot this Christmas. So those yeah. real um, people's stories, yeah, this mad, you know, all the gnomes, all the madness of everything, you know. But I love that. I love that juxtaposition. So I just, I said to Richard, Richard, I can only play this for real. He says, "Darling, that's what we're all doing." I look <laughs> and I, go, oh yes, and he goes, "I'm, I'm Victor through and through," you know. <laughs> And I said, yes, I know. Of course, the, the essence of comedy is the truthfulness of it. Yeah. It's the timing of it. And then, you know, I think, I think it was all right. <laughs> it was a like in many fans' top five easily. Whenever I speak to people, especially in this, because there's six specials, who's listening is right up there. It's the Christmasiest special. It is. Which asks, do you ever find yourself watching it if it's aired at Christmas or? Yeah, well, I got a DVD. I got because that was years ago before we had, you know, and I got my, I got a video of it. Got your cassette then, tape, you know, yeah. I got my cassette tape of it, and oh yeah, if it's on, and it's now, I think they're on. You can sort of find them. Oh, it's yeah, you can stream it, can't you? Yeah. But uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, or my daughter said, "Mum, mum, you're on." You know, like, <laughs> like I've never been in anything else, but they get very excited, you know. It's one for the grey. Did you find yourself watching the series as a regular fan from there on out? Yeah, yeah. I love it. I tell you who. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure we've all got our favourites, but I love Doreen Mantle. I love Mrs. Warboys, and I know, and she was Duffy's mum in Casualty. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's, pretty, that's another link for you for you fans out there. Yeah. So yes, and um, yes. So in the early days, I mean, they changed my mum, and then Ros Knight became my mum, and then. <laughs> but initially, it was Doreen, who was a very surly mum and didn't like Duffy's choices of life, and right, know, she was a single mum and didn't marry the doctor who was the father of her child. All of this, so she was. They were a bit estranged, but I love, I love that. Um, Doreen, you know, her take on everything. And I don't know, anything can happen. The world can blow up around her and she'll have a sucky sweet or something. You know? <laughs> and like that one, when they go on holiday, or the one in the car. I mean, you've just Yeah, that's, that's fantastic, isn't it? I I was in Doreen's company the other day, uh, myself and some other lucky fans that I don't know if you're aware, but they showed one foot in the Algarve at the Regent in Christchurch, obviously oh, where they filmed it all because, as part yeah. of Children in Need. I don't know if you read any or heard of that 
But they, it's the chap at the BBC called Richard Latto. He's upscaled one foot in the Algarve, and they um, played it for us lucky fans. See donations on the door, and Doreen was invited to, uh, you know, watch it. And she came to watch it with us and did a little um, interview on stage. So it was pretty surreal watching it with a cast member sort of yeah. nearby. So she's amazing. You know, ninety six. Yeah. All the faculties and just yeah, incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean. I suppose your scenes were with Richard primarily. Yeah. But did you? Were. Would you have? Would you have seen Annette or Doreen on on yes, set at all? Yes, because they were all not on set. No. Um, but we rehearsed because rehearsed. All, oh, yeah, we rehearsed everything, and oh, then okay. there'd be. I mean, of course, all my stuff was with Richard or with um, the the ma- the little boy Chase Chase Marks. Yeah, and then the church. Um, we had yeah. the church scenes. I was, was going to ask you, do you do you know what the little Adam's up to these days? Chase no, marks. But it was so funny because we'd be sat in a in a, in a caravan, you know, you get trailers, and hit, and with his mum, and yeah. she was going, "Oh, I hope they hurry up because he's got an audition." He never stopped auditioning, and he was he was a right little pro, and he was going off to this and going off <laughs> to that, and I'm going, "Oh, I don't know about this, you know." And he, well, no, so I, I don't I, know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know what he's doing now because I. Um, tried to look up his name and I can't I, I can only assume he doesn't act anymore unless he does stage well that does happen because often you know transitioning and, yeah. and going through you know or people just don't fancy doing it anymore and the, or kid, child actors are often very disinhibited they just get on with it and yes then you get to your teens and you might just sort of think well you know that's not what I want to do but yes I, that's very true because we filmed it in July, and of course that whole last scene with the snow—I mean, so that was like foam, and they had to foam this whole. Oh my lord, the street, and it was just like a football match of people. There were so God. many. The crowds had come out. It was really hot, and we had to pretend it was winter, and nobody <laughs> could walk across it. And, and who's the producer of it? Is it snowed? Um, not Susie Belbin. I mean. Let's have a look. I should know that, shouldn't I? Because yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Chris Gernan. Who? He, I mean, look at that particular episode. He was like head of comedy or somebody. He was. He was a big head honcho. It's the last name that usually comes up, like executive producer or head of comedy, BBC. It's not Gareth Gwenlin or anyone like that. So, um, no. I'm sure it's uh, Robin. Oh, I... I was going to talk about Tom Croker as well because he worked with uh, Jeffrey Chater. Yes, Jeffrey was the. The vicar, wasn't he? The, he, was, he was joining. He was, he was remarkable, wasn't he? That because like one of those one of the great scenes in that is he's given his last sermon. Oh, and it's very touching, isn't it? The way he is very mesmerising how he spoke yeah. as that character, and just when his mobile phone go, his phone goes off, a business call. I know. Was there any? Was that? Did that take a few takes? Because that was just hilarious. No, no. first Absolutely. time. I mean, it was like again, it was like a masterclass. You know, oh yeah. You just and often, you know, actors of his caliber, they know the pressures of filming. And you've got you've got the church, you've got everybody in there. And yeah. you know, they don't muck about. They get no, it's... It, you know, and it's it's class act. Just looking for that episode. I mean, Susie's down as the producer and director, John Dunstan, film editor. I think it may not even have come up on credits, but this guy was like head of comedy at BBC, something like that. And I'm sure it was Robin Snowden. Or anyway, the story is, is that the whole the road for as far as you can see is foam. All the trees are foam. Everything is settled. 
nobody's allowed to walk on it I have I have to get in the house and then you know I had tea and coffee and you can't come out and all of this and the little boy because we were up at the window and then this head of comedy walks right across. Oh, and, no. And of course, oh, my God, he's head of comedy. He's not, no one's going to shout at him. I don't know if that was like uh, Jeffrey Perkins or uh, someone it? like that. But so was that in Christchurch, that yeah. filming? Yeah. Was that uh, near Tresillian Way where Richard and Annette filmed their scenes? Was it, just, it, um, it looked because like, that was like, um, that was more like a little estate. And this was a big, if you see the house, it was a big sort of detached, big detached house, isn't it? Kind of look more sort of um, moneyed and quite big sort of um, avenue type road. Yeah, yeah. that's such a touching scene. As I've got children now as well, it's even more sad because that little boy just wants his dad to come over Christmas. I know there's a happy ending, but you still got to go through the motions when you're watching that back. Yeah, but there's also the fact that that nobody ever talks about is that some poor bloke did get burned alive. It's sort of brushed aside, isn't it? It's right. oh, it's all right. It it isn't Mr. Burridge. That's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I tried to track down who who that actor was who played Mr. Burridge. Yeah, um, I don't think he did much at all. No. Don't know if you ever saw him in, in anything else. Did you get to take any of the garden gnomes home with you? There's 263 oh. of them. <laughs> I know because I wasn't anywhere near any of the gnomes. Yeah, um, yeah. Just your thoughts then on your character in the video shop. You know, given what she was going through, we're just going a bit geek heavy here on the actual plot. Yeah. But do you think the way Mrs. Burridge responds to Victor is justified or could she have gone in harder? And and also at the church, obviously she completely blanks Victor, doesn't she? She yeah. doesn't want to she doesn't want to know. I think he's very very remorseful. Do you think eventually Mrs. Burridge would, if she came across Victor in the community again, would forgive him? Although you know, technically Victor didn't do anything wrong. He was he was rude, but it just he didn't know, did he? No, Victor was being Victor. Mm. But he'll always take it over the top. You know, he gets his pound of liver out <laughs> and, and all of this. You know, she's us. And yes, we all go mad about, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and you've got to have, you know, all your utility bills and your this <laughs> and all your proofs. And he's coming with all of his proofs. And he's being he's being rude. He's being harsh and he's being facetious. He does take it too far, doesn't he, with he his... Does. And but he doesn't know what's going on in her life now. Okay, putting it this way, she's she's um, had this horrible thing happen in her life. She doesn't have to go to work. She could have, you know, decided not to. But deciding to go to work, um, I suppose you you kind of have to put on a, you know, your public face to deal with these types. But he's you know he's one of those customers. Mm-hmm. That you'd be talking about for weeks. You go, oh my god, oh is it's that pain in the back? Yeah, I'm out the back. Oh, I'll go and do the whole drop <laughs> take nobody wants. He's that character. I I do think you know she's been through something absolutely been... horrible, and I think actually she's not a bad person. You know because oh I no, don't, don't doesn't the wife and Mrs. Warboys they talk about it? They say, oh, don't you? Did you hear about it? Because he then is that's what leads him to be more remorseful at the church. His character, his his persona changes completely when yeah. Reverend tells him the story. Because again, there's a bit of a, a bit of a funny funny scene, but also when Reverend Croker visits the Meldrews, he's locked out of um, 
Pippa and Patrick's house and he's sort of given a speech about how he's actually stepping down from ministry work because he doesn't believe in God and he like you know he, here's an example of this point. here's an example of why, why I can't this faith just doesn't I think he says the line faith is absolute or not at all or something like that it really yeah. resonates with you that, that, that kind of dialogue but yeah from there on out Victor is a different man yeah. and Margaret is quite harsh I mean you've got Margaret when she learns she's gonna be on her own on Christmas day you can uh empathize anyone being alone on christmas day can't be fun but of course i think her tune changes i think when when mrs warboy there's a scene with mrs warboy's in the maldry kitchen she says i think i wish all more husbands were like victor for, for doing what he's doing going down the community hall on christmas day yes and she cheers up of course they get held hostage and <laughs> margaret's mad again and, and she chucks it and also <laughs> But the, what you've just said about what miss what mrs burridge might think if she met him mm. because when the little boy is going to post his letter to Santa and he wants yeah. his body home and all of this. And she blanks him. Victor is actually trying to make, he, he's trying to come across and he's trying to, he's saying sorry. And she may not be able to accept it at that moment. But I think, you know, I think yeah. you would, anybody, anybody even, you know, going through horrible stuff that she has been going through, and now she's like a sole breadwinner for the little boy and all of this and what's their future. I think she would have recognised that he was remorseful and that there was a change. And I think, you know, she could, they, they yeah, she wouldn't have bashed him around the head with her handbag <laughs> next time she met him. Yeah. Do you recall Richard having a cold? Because he sounds bunged up throughout. Yes. yes. Well, I don't know that it was a cold. It could have been a cold or it could have been hay fever because it was summer. It was high. Oh, July. yeah, that's right. The fact is filmed in July, that makes yeah. a, lot, a lot of sense. It could be and, a Christmas cold in the actual programme, but it, that might be another reason why he's very miserable in that video. Because he sounds quite bunged up more than that. Uh... And I actually think that, that it was hay fever. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you got any opinions on Patrick's overreaction at the end when he gunned down all those names on the back of the wine being drank, which... You know, that wasn't something of the Mel. I, don't, I think a lot of fans of One Foot would say that wasn't the Meldry's fault. They wouldn't know that was someone else's bottle of plonk. No. They wouldn't They wouldn't even ask ahead of time, was it all right to leave that on your doorstep? But no. that was a bit of an overreaction. But crazy that a machine gun used in a sitcom. I know. <laughs> Seemingly a real one. I know. I don't think you'd see that happening no. much today. No. It's kind of, I don't know. That's You see, I'm not surprised that David Rennick loves... Clockwork Orange—that's <laughs> kind of—it's—it's it's a bit left field, isn't it? You know. To yeah, have I know. Vent and show that kind of aggression, and um, yeah, I I quite like that madness, but it's um, it's not cozy at all, you know. People just sitting with their cup of tea, laughing at all of that. <laughs> He's got—I don't know—I'll say an Uzi or a Kalashnikov. It probably isn't. Those are the only ones I can think of. But he's got a repeat, a rapid repeat, whatever. Gun. Crazy. And, oh my lord! <laughs> There's that look your character gives when she when she right at the again go back to that last one of those last scenes. When you look out the window, you see Adam, you know, cuddling a man. You realize, oh, it's oh, it's my husband. Yeah. The look in your face is very convincing. Obviously, you're an act, you're, you're acting. Yeah. It's obvious, but are you feeling that in the moment, or is it just a, a lot of actors say it's just a job? But did you again? I suppose. The other question I was going to ask as well, similar to that, is when you're reading that script, are you hoping that is a good ending? Are you anticipating what might happen as you read it as a fan as well as a professional? Um, no, no, because at that stage I wasn't as I wasn't completely across the style and 
or the or I, you know I wasn't locked in as a fan yeah and so it was it was such a brilliant read because like I say you've got this character who's got his you know catchwords and and all of this and the I don't believe it stuff going on and <laughs> and all this and and you know I think it it's up there with like the faulty you know how people love faulty I think they love this and it's because of the the reality of those curmudgeons in the middle of Basil and and Victor and then you've got my character storyline which I'm reading I'm going oh my god this is out of a play for today this is a serious piece of drama and I've got to get that into this sort of um you know uh and then I'm going, well, I'm just going to trust my instincts. I'll trust Richard and I'll talk to the director. Um, and I never like, I don't like to anticipate what's going to happen because I like, because I suppose that's for the audience. And when you're reading it, I'm reading it as a, to do the work. Yeah. So you're looking for your journey. And, and actors, they say, you know, there's no small parts, only small actors. So, you know, you can have three lines and you can actually turn a whole film round with three Mm. lines because of the import of those lines or what you do with them so you kind of it's kind of called beats you know it's the beats and the changes because that's what you're looking for in characters those kinds of that journey and I suppose when it got to that look at the end Mm. which I had to I have to tell you I had no one to look at because oh really you you weren't looking at anything going on on the street I think I, I probably had um, a, a third assistant just stood there where my eye line should be. Wow, that's always that always intrigues me. That like what's going on out the window? You necessarily seeing what we see, but no, I've got to admit, yeah, I presume yeah, yeah. you you saw what we saw just yeah. at a different cut, different take. But I I think um, if that look is because of I, the character. I mean, without getting you know heavy and naturalistic and method. I mean, you know, she up until that moment, life was really dark. Yeah. And so there's that huge relief and release and and that's a lovely acting moment. It's lovely. It's, it's to make that change, you know. Um, that is... it, it feels visceral. It, it feels a relief yeah. because even though I'm just sort of carrying on as the character, you kind of are acting like you've got knots in your stomach because you have to bring in that kind of mm. truth, you know, and then you just let the knots go. So it, it's... It's that I just... That what that scene is one of the best for me. It's so heartwarming, but it's tragic as well. Just before it ends happily, little Adam's got tears running down his face as he because there's a taxi that pulls up. It's just some yeah. people on a, on a night out coming back home. Yeah, actually, that that actor, that that little boy, looks if there if the snowman was made as a film, he'd, he'd play the role of that little boy quite well, wouldn't he? Just looks yeah. like the little boy from that animation. Yeah. As a fan of One Foot, then, would you say Victor and his values are what most people should strive for? Does he go about things in the right way, apart from when he's berating young ladies in video shops, of course? Well, he, oh, he's sceptical, you know, and he thinks his own thoughts and he won't be told. And, and I mean, and, and I think that's quite a healthy attitude, you mm. know, and he's just going to just... I mean, yes, he does go about things. <laughs> but I also think that Victor has the soft inner, you know, he's got this tough exterior, but he's a softy. Yes, he is. Uh, uh, and he actually, uh, yeah, he, he does. People infuriate him. But actually, he, I think he thinks that there's more good than bad in the world. 
And um, and I think he thinks he's got more, he's more positive around humanity because he, he never gives up. You know, if you were really glass half empty, he'd just go to bed <laughs> and turn the <laughs> lights out. But he doesn't, he gets up because he's into the fight every day. Um, yeah, we love we love that about Victor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to to give up his Christmas day to help out at the uh, homeless shelter, as it were. Yeah. Do, I mean, is that? I'll put you on the spot here. Would Would you ever give up a Christmas day? I've been help doing out? it for have many you, many years. Have Christmas. you? I do crisis at Christmas. Yeah. Oh, I, I applaud I you. I started when I was seventeen. It was a shout out on Capital Radio in nineteen seventy four, wow. and I was a stroppy teenager studying for my A levels. And I heard a shout out saying, um, St. John's Church, Lambeth, if you can get down there and help us. And I said to my mum, I was I was all idealistic and I'm fed up with consumer Christmases. And I said, that's what I'm doing for the next 10 days. And well, I, so you do that even to this like, I, recent I, years? I, yes, I did. The last one I did um, was 2019. Yeah, before everything and, went a bit south. Yeah. The, the, it was at the school. Um, now it's got a funny name, but it's the school that's in the shadow of the Grenfell Tower. Oh right, and okay. It's the Aldridge Academy in well, the borough of Kensington and Chelsea, and the whole academy was given over to crisis, and it was just brilliant. And I did drama workshops there, and I taught creative writing. And I tell you, some of the writing that that some of the what people choose to share and tell you phenomenal and then in 2020 I did online crisis um, yeah. and I was doing zoom drama which is a bit weird and um, <laughs> yes at one point I think I was playing Prince Charles because he was a prince then and I was and they all had to interview me and they were like show ho- chat show hosts and things like that you know and some that's of them amazing doing, yeah and then, good for you for doing that's just I'd take my hat off to you I don't have a hat year, but I, if I did yeah, this year I'm I'm gonna get stuck in back hands on. Amazing! So you that you got why wow, that you got more than a <laughs> that is that is identical to who's listening for what you're doing really from yeah, what Victor does. That's fantastic. Well, I'm, an, I'm an ambassador for Crisis. And, okay. Um, so I I mean at the minute you know like Joe Brand is doing a load of radio adverts and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. Because people can sponsor uh, a, a homeless person. It's about twenty nine quid. Um, and I, I go down and do my time and, and do my time and I go and, and help, yeah. You've never been held up at gunpoint then whilst doing a, a stint? No. Like Enritel? <laughs> no, but you can have, you can come across, you can find yourself in some tricky situations sometimes. And, and you know, all humanity is there. And it's just what, what crisis offer because people come in and they, you know, they, they can look if they're living rough and people live rough for all sorts of reasons. And then someone that you see sort of shuffle in, they get a haircut, they get a shower, they get a set of new clothes, they get a couple of meals and then they're up with a microphone doing karaoke and, you know, and then going off to the job. They've got job centers there. They've got social workers and and people, a lot of people want to get their life back on track. And for 10, 15 days over Christmas, a lot of people's lives can be changed, you know fantastic you mentioned teaching creative writing if i heard that right yeah have you dabbled in script writing yourself not really i'm i'm short stories or anything no um i do i I sort of write but i don't to no end really but i i um 
I'm quite good at developing stuff. I'm quite a good ideas person. I'm quite good in teams. If David's listening, I hope he listens. He can, (laughs) if he wants to come out of retirement, he can get in touch. You can collaborate with him. Come up with a new idea. Oh, Mrs. Burridge, the sequel. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Well, that was amazing to have another member of the cast on. And you were in a a very special episode of One Foot and arguably the most popular Christmas special for many One Foot fans. Certainly the most Christmasiest ones. I'd just like to thank you, Kath, for giving up your time and um, contributing to the podcast. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And and it was such a joy to work on. And so it's nothing but a pleasure to sit here and and talk to you and reminisce and think about it because it was a great experience. Thank you very much. I I've uh, I look forward to watching it again this Christmas. I've just watched it to review with a with a, one of the guests I'm having on soon, Anthony. But I look forward to watching it without the pressure of writing notes like I do for all my podcast episodes. But Kath, thank you so much for coming onto the show.